what it really like boils down to is being a conscious consumer, just thinking about what you buy and not over consuming. Welcome to Better Together with Kasi Epifonsev, a podcast on parenting, business, and living life intentionally. We're here every week to bring you thoughtful conversation on making your own path to success, challenging the status quo, and finding all the ways we're better together. Here's your host, Kasi Epifonsev. Hey guys, this is Costa, and today I'm here with my guest, Madison Kate Moffitt. We're talking about how to live sustainably in a disposable world. Madison Kate is the founder of Styled Sustainably, a lifestyle brand created to showcase sustainable fashion and inspire environmental consciousness in our everyday life. Madison Kate earned her Bachelor's of Science in Environmental and Sustainability Studies and a minor in Biology in 2017. She's currently pursuing a Master's degree in Environmental Informatics and Social Policy. The Styled Sustainable Sustainably brand works to thoughtfully inspire others to dream big, live a more sustainable lifestyle, and practice radical self-love. When she isn't saving the world, MK enjoys repurposing and upcycling different materials for her online clothing store, MK Vintage, roller skating, hiking, and spending time with her German shepherd, Akila. Madison, first of all, thank you for all the hard work you do to make sustainable living fun and interesting. The fashion industry plays a huge part in our environmental consciousness, and it's easy to forget what a critical role we play as individuals. Can you tell us a bit more about Styled Sustainably and what inspired you to start this brand? Thank you so much for that introduction, by the way. That was wonderful. Um, that was so sweet. So I started Style Sustainably in September of last year. I kind of wanted to create more of a place in the online world to build like a community of people who are more like-minded and interested in sustainable fashion and living a more conscious lifestyle with more intention. It's kind of like my design behind it. And I had a blog previously where I just kind of talked about travel, shared photo tips, and it didn't really fill me with any kind of passion. It was just kind of a hobby that other people inspired me to make because they wanted to learn how to, you know, take photos or edit photos or learn more about my travels. And it was, you know, an easy place for all my friends and family to access to read. Once I started becoming Becoming more active on Instagram and social media and connecting with other influencers and content creators who were passionate about thrifting and passionate about the same things that I, I was. I didn't realize that that community existed. So that's why I created Styled Sustainably to kind of help encourage others to follow a more sustainable lifestyle, to take the journey that is finding your fashion sense into a new way in, in, in terms of thrifting and, and repurposing fashion. And, and kind of getting away from all the trends and the things that don't last, if that makes sense. Oh, it absolutely does. So I'm curious, for someone so knowledgeable on environmental issues and policy... What does sustainable living mean to you? This is a really good question. So living sustainably is a concept, right? It's not like a, a list of three things you can do and then now you have a sustainable lifestyle. And everyone can be sustainable in that sense if they become more mindful about the impact that they have in the environment. To me, sustainable living means not taking more than you need. Be mindful that we live in a world that's fueled by overconsumption. And then supporting local community by shopping local, whether it's like in your food at the local farmer's market or supporting local businesses, and then being conscious about my decisions and how they impact the world around me. So that's what living sustainably means to me. I've been trying to live sustainably my entire life. 
I, I tell you, it's it's difficult. I mean, yeah, because there. I mean, there's so many things that you can do. You can recycle. Uh, everyone's saying, you know, recycle or don't eat meat, don't buy plastic. Yeah, compost. I actually compost. It's really I love fun. It. <laughs> <laughs> but there's so many things, so many articles out there. If you Google how to live a sustainable lifestyle, that says. 10, 20, 30, 100 things that you must do to live a sustainable lifestyle. And I think what it really like boils down to is being a conscious consumer, just thinking about what you buy and not over consuming and just supporting your community. I think if we all took that that kind of like conscious consumerism concept and applied it to our lives, that the world would be a much better place. So is a form of conscious consumerism, like say, for example, some people, they go grocery shopping and they'll buy like a week's worth of groceries on Monday. And they may not eat, especially when it comes to like vegetables and fruits, like they may not eat all those vegetables and fruits. So is, and I'm just curious, just for my own personal benefit, is grocery shopping like... When you're, you know, wanting to cook dinner, you go to the grocery store and you buy what you need. Is that is that a form of sustainable living? Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely not wasting food is a form of sustainable living. And, you know, like we just said about composting, that's a great way to make sure you don't waste anything, not taking more than you need. Uh, I hate when food goes to waste. Because I just can't imagine, you know, I, I feel like we throw away so much un- food unnecessarily that we, you know, that people probably would fight tooth and nail for, you know, in other countries. So on that point, not to brag, but I do recycle. What are a few ways everyday people like me can start living more sustainably? This is another great question. I love this question because like I was saying previously, there's so many things that everyone is trying to tell you to do to to be sustainable, to live a sustainable lifestyle. While all of the things, you know, that we were just talking about, recycling, composting, going meatless is great. And if you can afford to do those things, you know, by all means do those. But some of those things are not accessible to everyone. Being a conscious consumer, just thinking about what you buy and doing what's the best choice for you and for your family in terms of the environment, in terms of your budget, you have to think about all those things when you're looking to make a purchase. And I think that Overconsumption is one of the biggest problems that we face when it comes to protecting the environment. So I hear the term fast fashion all the time. What's fast fashion and why does it matter? Simply put, fast fashion is defined as low-cost clothing made to mimic higher-end fashion as seen on celebrities and runways. And it's become such a huge topic and become so popular because it brings all of the latest trends to all levels of consumers. So no matter what your income level is, you can afford to dress like your favorite celebrity, right? And when we think about fast fashion, we can think of the brands that make low-cost clothing in mass quantities, such such as H&M, Shein, Forever 21. Those are big brands that produce trillions of items a year. But it also, the term fast fashion also encompasses, you know, brands such as Free People, Zaro, and Anthropology, which have a little bit of a higher end product, but are still mimicking high fashion. And high fashion is like Gucci and, yeah. and Dior and stuff like that. What are the, well, I mean, what are the environmental implications of that? I mean, all of, because for example, I know talking to my wife about this, because she makes this comment all the time, you know, you buy a shirt at Forever 21 and you wash it and you can't wear it again. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's almost like a single use piece of clothing, which I mean, that's got to be 
terrible for no, the environment. It absolutely is. I mean, it's designed for fast consumption, which is where the term fast fashion was coined. And, and the products are made with, you know, cheap quality or cheap materials because they're trying to keep costs low. The people that make the clothing are paid below a livable wage. And all the fast fashion is offshored and produced in low and middle income countries where they're poorer areas. There is a NPR episode. I don't know if you've ever watched Planet or listened to Planet Money before, but there is an NPR episode that spans three different segments. Follows the supply chain from the very beginning of when the materials are produced to the point that it actually goes to a store and you can buy it in the like NPR shop, right? So the way that some of these individuals in these countries, the third world, you know, low income, middle income countries have to live to be able to just produce the raw materials necessary to get a t-shirt. I mean, it's it's got to be tough. And every time that we buy fast fashion, we contribute to their yeah. plight, you know, and it's like I, I always I heard this term or this quote being said several times. And I think it's rings so true is that we can vote with our money. And when we buy fast fashion, we basically ensure that it can continue in this system of destruction by talking for overconsumption. When, you know, you're mentioning washing the shirt one time and it's falling apart because it's made with such low quality materials. And that's what the brands want is that when the clothes fall apart, you throw it away. And so you have to come back and buy that $10 shirt again. That's tricking you into thinking it's more affordable than that $30 shirt that is actually stitched to last, Absolutely. you know, made with those quality materials. And, and that waste has to go somewhere. And a lot of times it's exported into low and middle income countries where it becomes their problem to deal with. And if they don't have good waste systems, then it just ends up clogging their rivers and their streams and, you know, polluting their lands. And so if people want to know about, you know, well, where do you go to buy something that isn't considered in that category? I was listening to another podcast about the guy that started Patagonia. And one of the things that I admire about him was the interviewer asked him, they said, how do you continue to raise sales? And he says, well, that's not important to me. Uh, he said, what's important to me is that when somebody buys my product, they wear it for life. And if it tears, instead of, you know, throwing it away and buying a new one, send it back and we'll repair it. And I thought that was so prolific to be able to say, you know what, not only are we going to sell clothes or fashion, but we're also going to make sure that it lasts for as long as you want it to. So I think more companies taking that approach, especially if you can make it affordable in the price bracket that I know a lot of people, you know, have to shop in. I completely agree. We have to think of fashion and more of the terms of slow fashion and businesses and brands need to adopt similar model, models such as Patagonia has. And many have, you know, there are many brands emerging and changing their ways and yeah, becoming more sustainable, more environmentally conscious about where they're getting their materials, how they're making their products. Are their workers safe in their working environments? Are they able to afford the commonalities that they need to survive? And I think once that attitude kind of floods into the fashion industry and more and more companies start to decrease their overproduction, it'll lead to decrease in overconsumption. And then we can kind of see the prices fall once there becomes more of a surplus of sustainable fashion, of companies who are making the 
those products that care about the environment, then once that supply increases... That's a great point. I mean, I think once people stop buying a shirt for single use, we'll, we'll definitely get somewhere, right? You know, you've done a good job of creating a community and providing resources on social media. How can social media work for good and create a better environment for us all? Because you know that social media can be a place for positivity. You know, it can be a place for some of the worst things that happen to us. So how do we work together and take your lead on creating social media for the betterment of society? I definitely think social media is a great tool when it's used appropriately and correctly. And it it is what you make it. If, If your Instagram feed is a bunch of hate or is it just a bunch of people that are doing things that you don't like? Unfollow those people. I'll just use me as an example. I make my social media a place that's fun to get on and to interact with like-minded individuals to see cool art or cool houses, you know, those kinds of things that inspire me. That's when I come to Instagram, I want to see content that inspires, that educates me and that encourages me to strive to be better. Not in a sense that I'm not already good enough, but that I can do something better today or be inspired or inspire somebody else. And that's kind of like when I go to create content, that's also the attitudes I use. If I'm not educating or inspiring someone, then what am I doing on Instagram? Like, what am I doing creating content in in general? Right. And I feel like a lot of people are starting to shift in that perspective. Mm -hmm. They definitely are. Because if you're on Instagram or on any social media platform and you're spewing hate or negativity, then people will leave because it's kind of the whole world is shifting towards trying to make social media a better place, I think. Getting society to understand that social media needs to be a positive environment and it needs to, like you said, inspire people and engage people and have a space for creativity. I love that we have come to that realization because for a while there, I was concerned. I really was. And it is what you make of it. Right. You can find sources that don't align with what you want to put out in that world. Um, But I think if you go on to social media with an intention that you're going to find like-minded people and that you want to build a community, it's there. There's a community for everything. I'm glad social media is going back in the right direction. Me too. And there's so many new things coming up, like Clubhouse, for example, is a really great tool to learn, to engage with like-minded people and build a community. Um, I've had some great conversations about sustainable fashion on there, people that I really admire that I follow on Instagram. So I really love that that's becoming a new thing. I also started a page for Cookville thrifters. It's called Thrift Cookville. And I want to use the platform to like educate people in the community about sustainable fashion and thrifting and hopefully hold some like clothing swaps and meetups and things like that. I know you're currently studying for a master's degree in environmental informatics and social policy, but how do you educate yourself on on environmental issues? And what are some easy ways people can stay in touch with this information? So like I said before, finding those creators and activists on social media is a really good way to keep up to date on current issues that people are fighting against or current policy that's going up in the House or the Senate. And I personally read a lot of books and watch documentaries on things that interest me. Um, if there's a topic I want to learn more about, I just Google it and find, you know, what what can I watch on Netflix about it? I love uh, more of a visual learner. So uh, recently, exact same way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. recently I read a book called Fashionopolis by 
Dana Thomas, and I watched the Netflix documentary Sea Spiracy. So if if you haven't, too, yeah, yeah, it's really good. If any, if you haven't seen those or read that book, they're both really good. I mean, when you're talking about Sea Spiracy and you see the things that are happening to our oceans because we choose to eat fish, and we've done so many things to try to curb that practice. I guess the question that I'm trying to to ask is, how much is it our behavior? I mean, honestly, every time we talk about environmentalism, we talk about sustainability, it all ties back to changing our behavior. It it absolutely does. We have a problem as a world with overconsumption. Everything is right at our fingertips. We don't think about the long-term consequences of the choices that we make. We're, We're not taught to do that. We don't live in society that prioritizes that kind of thinking. And that's harmed us in more ways than we know and in more ways than we're going to have time to fix. I just saw an iceberg split off of Antarctica the size of Manhattan. And I keep, when I'm watching this and I'm thinking to myself, when that melts, what's going to happen to the sea level? You know, what's going to happen to the people in Miami or, you know, in Charleston or New Orleans for that matter? And one of the things that frustrates me is as a society is we tend to wait until it hits the fan and then we start to react. I'm invigorated by the fact that a lot of people our age are saying, no, you know, I'm not going to accept a future where we've had massive migrations, droughts, a loss of entire crops. Like that's just not something that I'm willing to accept. So let's start thinking about how we can make changes to that, how we can change our behavior. And I think you and I both are on the same page when we've got to figure out how to change people's mindsets, but also how to make these processes more affordable and accessible to people. I mean, problems not in front of someone's face, if they're not seeing the direct effects of the choices that they're making, they're not thinking about it. Exactly. I've seen on your Instagram that you're an advocate for the Green New Deal. What does this proposal mean to you? And how do you think it would help the United States? So the proposed Green New Deal, which calls for rapid decarbonization of the economy and a better system of support. One of the things they're doing with the Green New Deal is rethinking the way manufacturing is carried out. The reason that interests me so much as it relates to fast fashion, the current systems that uphold industries like fashion rely on carbon intensive practices and unethical labored standards in order to keep their prices low, like we've mentioned. And the ideas in the Green New deal could force that to change. So that's really why I'm such a big proponent of that. I mean, there's so many good things that the Green New Deal is doing that we need. I just took a, a class for my master's about environmental social policy. We talked about all the environmental policies that the United States has that pertain to everything. And at the end, after we got done discussing, my, my professor would always ask, is this good enough? Is Are we doing enough? And, and the answer that I always came up with was, was no, it's not enough. It's not enough to do the things that it's intended to. You know, our environmental policy is not enough to help us. So we have to take another step up into coming up with some new ways of rethinking how industry works. And I do think the Green New Deal could really help that. It would definitely fund it. It would fund the the, the process of change. And that is what we need is funding. The number one thing the EPA needs is funding. They're so underfunded. They're spread so thin. They cannot keep up with the things that we need them to do in order to help mitigate the negative effects of climate change. So I watched a documentary about how people lose hope in renewable energy because so much of it is supported by fossil fuels. 
fuels. And it's because we don't have enough funding to make the full transition. We're kind of stuck in this middle ground, you know, where you might you may build a factory that's running on renewable resources, but you have to have a backup of natural gas. And so I think there's so much money right now that's being invested, but there needs to be so much more in just storing the solar energy that we collect. Right now, energy storage is it's, it's in the dark ages. We have yet to figure out how to do it effectively and to scale. But I do agree with you when you say that if we can support this transition, if we can support agencies like the EPA, we'll be able to transition people from a industry that's reliant on fossil fuels or that produce fossil fuels to more renewable resources, wind and solar, geothermal. And if we can figure out how to power whole industries that way, then we're going to have a massive effect on our carbon footprint. And I don't think there's anything scarier than being here, you know, 25 years from now and rationing food and water and thinking, gosh, if only we would have listened. If only we would have listened. That's right. Going back to fast fashion and the Green New Deal, the Green New Deal also wants to bring those clothing manufacturing factories back to the U.S. where they can be regulated, where workers can get their fair wages. Think about my policy classes. I think about, well, we're taking those jobs from those those poor low-income countries that you know rely on that income and we're taking those jobs away. If we bring back the factories, there's so many problems. Thank you so much for taking a moment to talk to us. Your insight and passion is so valuable and appreciated. We always like to end the show on a high note. Who's someone that makes you better when you're together? That would be my partner, Jake. He is always supportive of me in any of my various business pursuits or like passions. He will always support me in everything that I do. And I could not do any of the things that I'm doing without him. So definitely him. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Better Together with Costa Yepafonsev. If you enjoyed listening and you want to hear more, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Leave us a review, or better yet, share this episode with a friend. Writing and production by Morgan Franklin. Want to find out more about Costa? Visit us at costayepafonsive.com. We're better together.